chapter 18. John chapter 18. This morning we're looking at a a fairly well-known story in the Bible, uh, yet one that maybe we pass by what is really happening or what is being taught here. Uh, It's super interesting stuff. Um, You guys are familiar when Peter cut off the ear of the guard in the Garden of Gethsemane? How many of you guys are like, I know that story? How many of you guys have been that guy in that story? Like, without thinking about it, you lash out and end up hurting somebody, only to realize maybe that wasn't the right thing to do. All right. Um, Now, hopefully it wasn't an ear uh, or you physically picked up a knife and went after somebody. Um, But sometimes we get all excited and all full of rage or uh, fear or something's going on, and we run out to defend somebody only to find out, eh, maybe that wasn't the best idea, right? Uh, That's exactly what happens here to Peter, but we're going to look at a couple different people. We're going to look at the guards that are in the garden, look at Judas who's in the garden, going to look at Peter and the disciples who are in the garden and Jesus. And if you read this kind of slowly and uh, with a whole lot of boredom, it's like, okay, this person and then this person and they were in the garden and then Peter got out of the sword. But if you look at it as a whole and what was really taking place and try and kind of create that movie picture in your mind, this is a crazy setting. It's super dark. Guards and troops come up armed with swords and clubs and torches. They're being led in. Uh, It's a garden on the side of a mountain, so it's pitch black. They're searching for Jesus. The disciples are there, and they step out, and they confront him. And all of a sudden, this huge thing goes down where Jesus steps forward. All these guys fall down. They get back up. And they go to grab Jesus. Peter pulls out his sword and swings and cuts off his ear. Jesus picks up the ear and puts it back on and turns and starts rebuking Peter. And then they all run away from Jesus and leave him. And so the guards come and grab Jesus, bind him up, and drag him down into the city. It's a crazy setting. So what in the world can be learned from such a gnarly, uh, spontaneous, or what seems to us to be a spontaneous event? The reality is a spontaneous event to us is still a controlled situation to God. God is always, always, always in control. Let's pray real quick. Father, we ask this morning that you would grip our hearts. Lord, that you would have our full attention. You'd have our eyes, our ears. Lord, that when we leave from this place, God, we would trust in you more than ever before. Lord, we may not know what you're doing in our lives, but we know that it is you who is doing it. God, that you have our best interest in mind. Father, pray that you would encourage us and teach us now. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. All right, Uh, let's start off. We're going to read the first couple of verses here, all right? John chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Uh, And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things, super important. It's your Bible, circle verse 4. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Who are you seeking? Verse 5, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them, the guards. Now when he had said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, who are you seeking? 
And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you. It's like, I already told you. I am he. Therefore, if you want or if you seek me, let the others go. That the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. It's awesome. Why would they send such a large detachment of troops? Jesus, in another gospel, says it's as you come to arrest a robber or a thief. What's going on? And where were they found? Where were they found? You guys know where they found Jesus? In the garden. How'd they find him? Who was leading the charge? Judas. How did Judas know where Jesus would be that day? Get right on. They go there often. It was a very familiar place to be. It was a very familiar place for them. And that is oftentimes a very real reality that where the enemy attacks, it is a, um, it's a familiar place. Maybe we get distracted when we sit down to read our Bible in our own homes, uh, or it's our friends who give us the hardest time sometimes, or it's our schools. The enemy is not often attacking in places we're not used to. The enemy is coming after us in places that we are used to. It's people that are close to you or situations that you're very comfortable in. Because if we're honest, in a comfortable situation, it's where we put our guard down, right? How many of you guys have noticed when you try, you could be doing nothing. I'm going to read my Bible. And all of a sudden, that thing opens up and you're thinking about everything but the Bible. Anybody else go through that? Or you're going to go to pray and next thing you know, you're waking up. It's like, what the heck? When did that happen? It's where the enemy comes in. He comes in when it's familiar and safe. Jesus is there with the disciples uh, in a very familiar and safe place. Remember years ago, there was a young lady that came and asked. Uh, we were talking often. There's these big things going on in her life, and she kept coming back. And eventually, she just said, I just gave up. Well, what do you mean you gave up? I just gave up. I'm, I'm not going to pray anymore. I'm not going to read my Bible anymore. Okay, sorry. Jake, you got to move, dude. You just sit over here or whatever. And so this lady comes back after a couple months of talking and encouraging her and encouraging her or praying, and it's like, hey, I'm done. I gave up reading my Bible. I'm done praying. It's like, what? Why? What happened? She said, well, to be honest, the less I pray and the less I read my Bible, the more I feel like life's just a lot easier that way. But I start reading my Bible and I start praying and things get hard uh, and and it's difficult and I get... uh, I get discouraged and different things start happening in my life that I don't like. Is that true? Or is she a liar? It's true. A lot of times it's presented to you, if you just read your Bible and prayed more, everything would be great. Was that true? Just because we read our Bible and pray doesn't mean you're going to walk around just happy all the time. And if you're not happy, it's because you're not reading your Bible enough. We go to the Bible not to find happiness, but the Word of God to find our strength. We go to prayer not just to get all of our problems fixed, but to find out, God, what are you doing? Yes, it might get hard sometimes, guys. Does that mean you give up? You just raise the white flag? Like, that's it. I'm not going to do this Christian thing anymore. It's too hard. Absolutely not. That's why you press in. The evidence is real that this stuff matters, and Satan hates when God's people get close to him. Of course that's where he's going to attack. He comes after us in our familiar places. That doesn't mean we give up. It means we press in. We grab on. God will give us the strength. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57 and 58 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, my beloved brother, brethren, be steadfast, immovable. Don't stop. Steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Revelations chapter 3, verse 11 says, Behold, I am coming quickly. That when Jesus comes, he's coming very fast. And he says, Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Are we God's people? Are we the kind of people who will fight as long as it's easy? I hope not. Anyone will fight when it's easy. Anyone will join a team that is guaranteed to win. I don't know about you guys playing sports. I remember a few times uh, being on both sides of it. You show up to play a team. How many of you guys play, like, I don't know, baseball or soccer or hockey? I played hockey. I remember showing up multiple times, and this happened. We were on both sides of it. We'd show up. We'd have our whole team there. We were better, faster, stronger. The other team barely had enough people to play. No one was going to get a break. Uh, no one was going to get a chance to rest. They weren't going to get any, any help at all. If someone got hurt, they were out. One less person they had to forfeit. Like, we're going to kill these guys. What happens? An hour and a half later, they end up beating you. Like, what, what is that? Because the odds were stacked against them, they had determination. They were, they were absolutely convinced and 100% dedicated to fight for the win. God's people shouldn't look at a situation and just be like, oh, we're just going to cream this thing. This is just going to be a walk in the park. It's going to be so easy. In fact, we should look at things like, you know what? This is going to be an uphill battle. They killed Jesus. They crucified him. And Jesus said, if they crucified me, you better believe they're going to persecute you. They knew in the early church that to believe in Jesus was to accept persecution. The day a new believer, read the book of Acts. They get beat up. They get imprisoned. They get drug off in chains. Uh, all kinds of stuff happened. Anytime someone back then, or in other countries even now, the day you said, I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus, you already knew that was radically against normal cultural uh, way of life. You knew the moment I'm stepping into faith in Christ, I'm accepting the persecution that comes with it. Are we such a weak group of people that when things get hard, we lay down our Bibles, we forfeit our time in prayer, and we just take the easy way out? But it's awesome the disciples didn't. They didn't run and hide, and they're in this familiar place. And honestly, that is where things can go wrong, in familiar places. But let me ask you a question. When things go haywire and get all goofy, does that mean that God has lost control? Yes or no? Has God lost control when things go absolutely nuts? Yes, no? Help me out. No. Okay? God is in control even still. Try and say, say God is in control. Okay, that was good as like robotic drones who are just told what to say. Now say it like you believe it. God is in control. control. Booyah. All right. That's what this whole thing's about. And we're going to look through this for the next couple of minutes together. Check it out. The first people we're looking at are the soldiers. The troops come up. They have ranking officers. So now there's uh, not just the military men with the swords, but you know how their commanders are there. It's a rather large group of people. They come as a big detachment with weapons as if they're going to arrest uh, robbers or thieves. And the reality is, I think maybe they were unsure how the disciples would react. They were there for Jesus, but Jesus had his 12 disciples there. It wasn't just one guy. They didn't know what was going to happen, how it was going to respond. Uh, they were there to make sure things went the way they were supposed to. When the world is against God, God is still in control. 
no matter how many people show up or what the majority says, even when the world turns its back on God, God is still in control. You guys have been asked by your parents, I'm sure. Uh, well, all my friends are doing it. Well, if your friends jumped off a bridge, would you do it? Right? You're like, uh-huh, yep. You're like, well, no. But if you're honest, it's like, well, maybe. If it seemed fun enough. You guys know sheep, you know sheep right? Like, sheep, fluffy little white things. Do they, without a shepherd, they will die a few different varieties of, of miserable deaths. They either be eaten alive by bugs that go in their nose and eat up their brain. Yeah, that's why when you hear that anointing with oil, shepherds would rub oil on uh, a sheep or a lamb's face and nose and, and around to keep the bugs from being able to go in and eat up their brain. Interesting. Um, which is, <laughs> like, what, 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 what? Uh, what else? They, when they, if they don't get sheared, they don't just naturally shed their wool. You know that, right? Have you ever seen a mangy sheep, just nasty? Do you know that when it rains, if they are not trimmed up, they become so heavy that they will die of suffocation and they will fall down and they cannot get back up? It gets so heavy and so bogged down that they just get stuck and eventually die. What the heck is that? And you know, you're like, poor sheep, right? Poor sheep with the bugs. Poor sheep with the wet fur. No, there's also dumb sheeps, all right? <laughs> this is reality. I looked at pictures. It's kind of sad. I looked at pictures. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to put those on the screen today. But sheep are so dumb. They're walking along, and then the grass is gone. It's just dirt because it's a cliff coming up. They're like, whatever. And then just keep walking. And then there goes Bob, and then there goes Joe, and then there goes whatever. It's like, naps, naps. You would think like one or two or ten would stop. The whole herd would just be like, duh, 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 duh. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. And isn't it comforting to know that over and over and over and over again, the Bible refers to us as sheep. I don't like that description. I don't want bugs in my nose. I don't want wet fur, and I don't, definitely don't want to follow anybody off a cliff. Guys, we do it all the time. That's why the Bible says if we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Holy Spirit, when it talks about the anointing of oil in the Bible, it's talking about the Holy Spirit coming upon the believer to guard them, to preserve them, to direct them. In the same way, when the world wants to come in and begin to deteriorate, they're not going after your hands and your legs and, and your eyes. They're going after your heart and your mind. God says, I have put my Holy Spirit in you and upon you to guard you from these things. That God will prune away different things at times in our lives and remove it, not because he hates us, because he's guarding us like that wool that needs to be stripped away. But our natural tendency is to just follow each other off the cliff. Don't think, though, for a moment that when the world goes against God, you should go against God also. Popular opinion is rarely the right one. I'll tell you right now, popular opinion is rarely the right one. When the world goes against God, has he lost control? Absolutely not. What about now? Has God lost control? I mean, we're living in an age, you know that approximately one million Christians around the world are persecuted every year. It's a lot of people. You guys ever been in the main sanctuary? I can't wrap my mind around a million people, so I was like, how do I break this down? I still don't understand this. That's enough people to fill up the main sanctuary 384 times. So fill them up, send them out. Fill them up, send them out. Fill them up, send them out. Fill it up, send it out. 384 times. 
persecuted, that's imprisoned, that is beat, that is mocked, that is uh, a variety of things. And 150,000 Christians are killed every year around the world. That's not because they're annoying people or because they broke the law. That's just because they believe in Jesus. That's what persecution is. 150,000 people. That would take 2,600 school buses to ship them all off to their graves. It's a lot of people. Has God lost control? No way. What's he doing? He's getting ready? I don't know, but I know he's in control. Look at this. The attack had more support than the defense, right? The guards come in. They got the troops there. They got the commanding officers there. They got torches and weapons, and it's all against them that the attack had more support than the defense, or it was seemingly so. When you look at it, they come, and um, interesting, they knew the name of Jesus. Jesus says, hey, I'm not hiding. He steps out. Hey, how are you guys doing tonight? I'm like, okay, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. That's me. What was crazy is it says that as soon as he says, it is me, they are, are blown back or they fall down on their faces as if, I, I don't understand this whole thing perfectly, so I'm not going to try and teach you something I don't fully have my mind wrapped around. But I know this, that when he reveals himself, for whatever reason, they're blown back and they hit the deck. Is it that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow? Maybe. Is it because he's using the same terminology that God used back in Exodus with Moses when he said, I am, and he's revealing, I am God. And they, maybe. But for sure, he's showing his power and his might. And there's nothing they could do to overcome it. It caught him off guard. It caught him by surprise. It knocked him down. They get back up. And he says, who are you looking for? Don't you think Jesus could have ran at that point? I mean, he's like, I'm him. Everyone just gets blown away. He could have been like, let's go, guys. And the disciples just take off. They get back up, looking around. What the heck was that? What's that? You get him. I'm not getting him. You get him. No way. Oh, Judas said he'd go up to him. Judas, you go get him. Jesus says, I'm still here, right here. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I already told you, I'm right here. I mean, I'm here. Take me. Isn't it cool, though? Take a look. Where is it at? Whom are you seeking? Verse 8, Jesus answered, I have told you, I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. Jesus said, I am who you're looking for. Let the disciples go. That even when people were after Jesus, Jesus still had the disciples' best interest in mind. He is totally, absolutely, 100% in control. When the world goes against God, God is in control. The army comes up, who knocks him down? Jesus. God's in control of this. We'll find out in a minute what he tells Peter. Peter, I got this. Get out of the way. It's interesting. They knew his name, but not his face. Didn't they need G Judas to, to go up and kiss the leader on the cheek or on the face and identify who Jesus was? They knew his name, but not his face. Be very careful when popular opinion turns against God. Oftentimes, they may know the name, but they don't know the Lord. Is Jesus in control when he's outnumbered? Absolutely. I think he's showing his power to the army, and I think he's reminding the disciples. Remember, you got to look at it from both sides. 
The military is being shown, okay, this guy's got power over all of us. The disciples are being reminded, I'm in control, guys. I got this. I don't think they got it, though. But Proverbs 30, when we talk about the power of God, Proverbs 30, verse 4, it says, Who has ascended into heaven or come down? Who has gathered the winds in his fist? Who has bound the waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? And what is his name and what is his son's name if you know? It says that God holds tornadoes in his fist, that the waters are bound up in his garments. As if you guys ever wring out a rag, like you wash your car, it's like, Shh. so God could just and make the oceans. He has it all under control. He's pinned out the ends of the earth. He knows it all together. He's spoken into existence. Isaiah chapter 40, 25 and 26, he says, To whom then will you liken me? Oh, you think I'm not that big of a deal? Oh, you think I'm not that powerful? Oh, you think I'm just like every other God on the face of the planet? He says, Who are you going to liken me? Look around at what I've done. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high. And see who has created these things, who brings out the stars and their hosts by number, who calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. How many of you guys realize you could look up in the skies tonight and there could be one star that's gone and you wouldn't even know it, right? You wouldn't even know it. God would recognize it. If somehow it were possible to remove a star from the sky, God would know it. He knows its name. He knows its place because that's exactly where he put it. Psalm 66, verse 7, it says, He rules by his, powerful, or by his power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. I love it when we think God's out of control or he's lost control. Isaiah 46, 10 says, My, my counsel, God says, it will stand. And I will do all my pleasure. So these guys come with swords and clubs and torches and they're going to get Jesus. Does that mean that what's about to happen? They end up getting Jesus. The disciples run away. They bind him up. They drag him down into the town. They eventually end up beating him, ripping the beard out of his face, cramming thorns into his skull, tearing the flesh from his body and nailing him to a cross. Was he in control? Doesn't look like he's in control. Looks like he's lost control to me. Even his own disciples run away from him. Don't ever think, no matter what things look like, God is always in control. Does that mean he wanted the pain? Was he just like, I can't wait to get whipped today. This is going to be such a good day. Sun's out, birds are chirping, a couple whips. Ah, whew. I love the feel of thorns in your skull. Just past the flesh and into the bone. feels so good. Of course not. Of course not. Jesus wanted another way out. He even prayed, Lord, there's another way. Father, allow this cup to pass from me. But he was willing to do what was required of him. Within the pain and the death would be the forgiveness of sins. The circumstances weren't what he was looking forward to. It was the outcome. Some of you guys are going through crazy stuff. I'm telling you right now, the circumstances, God's not up there like, I love this part. But the outcome, trust him. He is in control and the outcome will be better than you could imagine. When the world is against God, God is in control. What about Judas? What about when our friends turn against God? You guys had that happen yet? Where your friends start making some weird decisions or they start becoming another person? You just, yeah? It's hard. 
it's weird. It doesn't make sense. It's like you start talking to them out of love and they don't hear it at all. It's like they have their fingers in their ears. They won't listen. When our friends begin to walk away or our friends turn their backs on God, does that mean that God is now out of control? Absolutely not. He's still in control. But didn't one of his followers leave him, abandon him, and betray him? Yes. It shouldn't surprise us, though, when someone turns against God. How many of you guys have been surprised by someone's betrayal of Jesus? Okay. It's only a matter of time it happens. It should not surprise, it can break our hearts, but it should not confuse us. It should not surprise us. One of the disciples, Jesus' very own, turned his back and walked away and brought with him an army to arrest him, to betray him. And you're like, oh my gosh, how did this happen? Imagine what the disciples felt like. We lived with this guy for three years. We trusted him with the money. We, we did ministry with him. We camped out together like we lived life. What are you doing? Have we forgotten that Satan himself was one of the lead angels in heaven? Just because you're close to God doesn't mean you love him. Sometimes when we feel the furthest away is when we see how great his love truly is. The Bible's never highlighted our faithfulness. The Bible will never glorify man. The Bible has never highlighted our faithfulness. It always points us to the faithfulness of Jesus. And betrayal, by the way, doesn't always have on an ugly face. We think that evilness looks evil, right? We do. We think that evil deeds and wicked stuff looks evil. It should be a, a mean guy with dark circles under his eyes, and he probably looks like he's on drugs or even possessed, and, and all no, wicked stuff doesn't always look wicked, especially when the enemy's involved. Joseph and his brothers. You know the story about Joseph? He's got this sweet jacket from his dad. Uh, it's all colorful, and he's like, oh, the little baby boy's dad's favorite. Remember the story? What do they do to him? They throw him in a pit. Then they take was it a sheep or something and put blood all over his they tear up his favorite jacket and they put blood all over it and they send it back to their dad and be like your son's dead remember what they were going to do to him their first thought let's kill him let's just kill him it's super nice brothers right wrong if you guys are like i'm just gonna kill my brother like uh, don't i'm not the only one that's thought like that right you ever been so mad, you're like, I would just, I wish you were dead. I didn't say you grabbed a knife and took his jacket and went outside and killed the cat and put the blood. And I'm just saying, oh, now that's me. Cats are mean, right? Here's the deal. Think about it. We think evil will always be seen. Evil doesn't always show its true colors. It doesn't. Judas was there for three, three and a half years walking around with them. Evil does not always show its true colors, its real face. Just like Joseph and his brothers. He goes out, hey guys, how you doing? They grab him, throw him in a pit, let's kill him. Who's going to do it? You want to do it? Here's my knife. You can use my knife and you do it. Luckily, someone gets in there and is like, let's just pretend like he's dead. Sell him. We'll make some money off the slave traders. We'll get rid of him. We'll tell dad he's dead so that we're not in trouble. And we can finally live on our lives without this guy. It's his own brothers. If you know the story, though, where does Joseph end up? 
Doing what? He was the second in command of the most powerful nation in the world. You think God was in control? Oh, yeah. It was a long journey. Years of what looked like absolute chaos. And yet God was always in control. Proverbs 27, verse 6, it tells us to be careful. It says that the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. People that flatter you, you'll meet people and they'll just tell you how great and awesome you are and they respect you and they'll follow you and all this stuff. Be very careful. When someone over flatters you, be very, very careful. Betrayal doesn't always have an evil face. Jesus, look, did he lose control? He lost control of one of his disciples, right? He lost control. Oh my gosh, he left him, turned his back. He can't even keep 12 guys in line. What's wrong with him? Jesus is not out of control. Jesus knew the whole time what would happen. He knew. John chapter 13, in verse 11 and 18, he says that he knew who would betray him. And he says, I know whom I have chosen. I know you. I know what's in your heart. He wasn't surprised by it. He was in control the whole time. Judas was on the wrong side, but Jesus knew the whole time. When the world's against God, that doesn't mean God has lost control. When our friends turn against God, that does not mean God has lost control. It feels like it sometimes. It surprises us sometimes, but it's not the truth. What about when the disciples become knuckleheads? Couldn't think of a better word. There's 11 guys left. Peter obviously is one of them. What about when they become knuckleheads? You know knuckleheaders, right? Make a fist. And think about how much brain power is in your fist. When you're acting like you have that much brain power, you're being a knucklehead. You're out of your mind. You're just kind of making a dumb decision. It's like beating your head on a wall. Like, that's not going to help anything. Do the disciples ever do that? Do the disciples ever get in God's way? Yeah. Take a look. Luke's account, verse 22, or chapter 22 of Luke says they all wanted to fight. They're all there with Jesus. They get, the guys get back up. He says, hey, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. The disciples getting close to say, Jesus, we'll fight. They're probably taking off their tunics. Let's do this thing. Right? Peter's got a sword out. Like, I don't I don't know if he made that noise or not. Probably hadn't been to Japan yet, but here's the deal. They're knuckleheads. Sometimes, now just, wouldn't you be like, yeah, I want to be like this. I want to defend Jesus. I'll die for you, Jesus. Peter just said that. Jesus says, dude, you're going to about to deny me three times. Chill out. But Peter was kind of, kind of trying. He gets out his sword. All this stuff, like, we'll fight for you. Like, yeah, that's valiant and that's honorable and it is completely the opposite of God's plan in this setting. Take a look, it keeps going. The last uh, two verses. Then Simon Peter, having his sword, he drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Drink the cup which my father has given me basically means, shall I not do what God has said? God's put this before me. I will take it and make it who I am. They all wanted to fight, but Peter had extra zeal, right? He was extra excited, extra zealous. Jesus knew what was going to happen. The problem was the disciples didn't. 
The disciples didn't know. Don't get sucked in, guys, to drama. Don't get sucked into crazy, all right? When life goes crazy, don't get sucked into crazy. Can you do that for me? Don't get sucked in. There's three things I think that happen. When we feel like we're losing control, there's three emotions that typically uh, run our lives. You guys ever feel like you're losing control or been in a situation where you feel like you're losing control? Whether it's a game or it's a life situation, uh, your, your mom and dad are arguing, it could be simple, it could be very complicated, but when you feel like we're losing control, we begin to do a few different things. One, fear comes up, panic, oh my gosh, and we're like, ah! We want to run away, we want to hide, we don't want to do anything, fear, absolute terror. First Timothy 7, or chapter 1, verse 7, it says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Don't let fear rule your lives. Don't let fear rule your lives. Uh, anxiety to panic. What are we going to do? How are we going to fix this? Oh my gosh, something, something's wrong. Oh, I don't know what to do. Ah, the world's ending. Help. We feel that way sometimes. That feeling comes out when you feel like you've lost control. The question is who's really in control? It's God who's in control. Philippians 4, verse 6 says, be anxious for nothing. Don't freak out, don't panic, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, give your requests to God. Don't freak out, don't panic. The third thing I think that rises up in us is anger. When we start losing control, we just get mad. Any of you guys get mad? That's my natural thing. I don't... I don't fall into fear typically, I don't fall into anxiety, I fall into like, let's kill this thing. It's wrong. It's wrong. James 1, 19 says, so then my beloved brother, and let every man be swift to listen, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Wrath is acting upon anger. Don't go there. Why? For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You act on your anger, you're going against God's will. Oh, man, Psalms 4, verse 4 says, be angry and don't sin. Is it okay to be angry? Yes, it's okay to feel anger, but don't sin because of it. Peter had a hard time with that one. He, he apparently forgot a few of these things. The feelings, when we feel like we're out of control, but there's no fear, there's no anxiety, there's no anger in Jesus, right? Why? He's the only person in control. When Judas came, he knew. He knew. He was in control. Judas, I know you. You're going to be betraying me with a kiss? Really? All right. When the crowd came uh, or the soldiers came, he was still in control. One word, and they all fall down. He's in control. And now Peter jumps up and takes off the ear uh, of Malchus, and he's like, man, Peter, chill out. He picks up the ear. I don't know if he picks it up or caught it, right? If he knew it was going to happen, maybe it's like, shing, boom. <laughs> Peter, put it away. Oh, here, you drop something. and Sticks it back on. That's what he says. He says he heals the guy. He just puts his hand on him and bloom. Amazing. Jesus is always in control. He turns to Peter now. He says, Peter, put your sword away. Put it away. Well, what does that mean? It's interesting, Jesus didn't say throw it away, right? Some people want to take this part of the Bible, guys, and tell you uh, Jesus never wants us to ever defend anybody. That's not true. 
But when God's in control, you let him be in control. So Peter, put your sword away. He didn't say throw it away, but we want to rush in and fix things that God doesn't want us to fix. And you guys have maybe a mom like that or an aunt like that or you're like that. You're prone to try and fix everything. Sometimes we're supposed to back off. Sometimes we're supposed to back off. Sometimes getting involved will do more damage. What good was it that Peter did? Zero. You hurt a guy. It's the only thing you accomplished, Peter. When our first tendency is to run in and fix things, we need to stop and think, what's happening? If Peter would have stopped and been like, hold on. Jesus knows us. He knew. He knew. Back at the Last Supper, Jesus actually revealed that Judas would betray him. He knew. And right now, he just blew all the soldiers down. He's in control. He's got this. Peter's just get all wrapped up. He, control is gone in his mind, and now he's going to jump in and save the day. But God would tell us, no, 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 not always. Put your sword away. Tells him two things, right? One is a command. One is a reminder. Peter, you're in the way. Shall I not drink this cup that is before me? We can be wrong. Even a disciple, interesting, guys, even a disciple can judge a situation wrongly. I'm a Christian. That does not mean you're always right. You ever feel like you're always right? You're in a situation where everyone else is wrong and you're right. Or maybe your parents get road rage, right? They're like, oh, God, get over. These people, oh, I can't believe this. That guy almost cut me off. And this is ridiculous because they're the only people that know how to drive in that moment. Everyone else is an idiot. We apply that thing. We get life rage. I don't know. All of a sudden, everyone's dumb. No one knows what to do. They just need to get out of my way because I'm right. Well, that kind of thinking is very wrong. Be careful. Peter says, you're in the way. Put your sword away. Even a disciple can judge a situation wrongly, and he commands them, put your sword away, not throw it away. Ecclesiastes 3.3 tells us, in fact, there is a time to kill and a time to heal. There's a time to break things down and a time to build things up. There is a time to defend. There is a time to get involved. And there are times not to. How do you know the difference? You need to understand what God is doing. And that will not happen in an instant. It comes by thanking and praying and looking to God for wisdom. The disciples say, Lord, we'll fight. Like they're kind of asking, do you want us to? Peter doesn't wait for, yes, go. He's just like, we'll fight. Peter's, like, oh, shoot. Don't jump the gun, guys. There are times to defend. This just wasn't one of them. And he reminds them. In Matthew's gospel account of this whole thing, he reminds them. He says, Peter, Peter, put your sword away. You're, you're messing up the plan here. By the way, don't you know that I could pray to the Father and he'd send more than 12 legions of angels? That's 80,000 angelic soldiers down. Don't you know? Peter, come on. I can handle this. I just knocked them down. I know what Judas is up to. It's okay. The command, put it away, chill out. The reminder, I've got this. Don't you know, I could call down 80,000 angels from heaven and clear the entire city if I wanted to. Chill out. 
don't get pulled into the drama. 2 Timothy 2.13, it says, if we are faithless, sometimes we're like Peter. We've forgotten how powerful God is. We've forgotten that he's in control and because he's not doing what we want or he's not doing what we want fast enough, we'll pull out our sword and we'll go after him. Maybe that's something of the flesh or maybe the Bible's referred to as a sword also. We can do the right thing at the wrong time. Even if we are faithless, this is awesome. God remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. When the world, like the soldiers, comes against God, God's still in control. When our friends turn their backs on God, like Judas did, God is still in control. And even when we are absolute knuckleheads, God is still in control. Think about the whole story all together. Jesus went to them. Hey, who are you guys looking for? He didn't hide. When he said, I'm here, they all fall down in his presence and they get back up. He's still there. He didn't run and hide again. He didn't beat him up. He didn't call down angels. He stopped Peter. He put the ear back on. He ends up giving up his own life, but then taking it up again and being raised from the dead. He conquers sin and death. And what's amazing, his concern, his only concern, remember his request? I'm right here. Just let these guys go. Even knucklehead Peter, let them go. Let him go. Why? Jesus is always looking out for our best interests. I'll leave you guys with this last verse. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, finally, finally, he ends it all. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Because when is God not in control? Never. But things look like they're falling apart. I understand. Persecution's crazy all over the world. People are dying every day. Guess what? I don't understand it. But God's in control. My, my house, my family's falling apart. I know. God's in control. My friends are being dumb. They're being knuckleheads. I get it. That doesn't mean God's not in control. Oh, man, I messed up. Me too. Thank God we are not in control. He's always in control. Not because it's the right thing to do. Don't trust God, guys. I'm asking you, don't just trust God because someone told you to or because it's the right thing to do. Know that you trust God because you can. He's always in control. He's got a plan. Let him work it out, right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, for your grace, it's amazing how many times we probably stepped in to try and save the day and made things worse, kind of like Peter. And Lord, we pray, we lift up our friends and our family right now that has walked away from you. God, ask that if it's not too late, Lord, you'd open their eyes to their sin, that you'd cause them to see clearly the decisions they're making. But God, we trust you with them. We wouldn't freak out anymore. We wouldn't be hopeless or in despair. We wouldn't be full of fear or anxiety. But take away our anger and help us to walk in love. 
Father, we pray that when these things happen, Lord, in these familiar parts of our lives, people we know, places we're familiar with, God, when things blow up in our face, we would just rest knowing that you have it all in control and that in the end, it'll work out according to your plan. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.